Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. But success in God's and from God's perspective isn't really based on how people respond to us, but that we were faithful to share with those people what God entrusted to us. And so he says, you're going to go out and some people are going to receive you, just you know, share with them. And other people are going to reject you. And he says, just, well, go out from them. Part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Lord of the Harvest. We continue with our introductions to the 12 apostles and the instructions given them for their upcoming ministries. Instructions that were as valuable to them as they are for us today. Let's listen in starting in verse two of Matthew chapter 10. The next pair are James and John. These guys are brothers. They're called the sons of thunder. We know thunder was mom, how? Well, because they're also called the sons of Zebedee. So you got Zebedee, that's dad. Then you got thunder, that's mom. But as you read their life story, these guys, well, they, they kind of remind you of like a couple bikers or something. They're just intense and aggressive and outgoing and bold. And now they're absolutely committed to Jesus. They absolutely, I mean, I, I picture Peter, James, and John, and then Simon the Zealot as sort of seeing themselves as Jesus' personal bodyguards. And uh, while the scripture never describes them that way, their character, their nature, the way the scripture does describe them, well, it would be easy to imagine them thinking of themselves that way. We're here to protect you. We're here to watch out for you. So much so that it a mere insult when the Samaritans didn't want Jesus to pass through their territory. Long-standing rift between the Samaritans who were part Jew and part Gentile as a result of a captivity that they endured. Well, the, the more pure-blooded um excuse me, the more pure-blooded Israelites, they, they don't want anything to do with the Samaritans. And well, the feelings... They were kind of mutual. So at one point, Jesus wants to pass through. They say, no, he's not coming through here. He's not passing through here. James and John are indignant. They come and they say, Lord, just give us the word. And we'll call fire down out of heaven and we'll just destroy him for you, Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think, Lord? And he's like, I, I just know. In fact, if... if if this was my team, and, and you know, God's more merciful to me than that. I mean, he can handle these guys. I never could have dealt with it. But, but he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And we've got to know, no matter who it is, our, no matter who appears to be our enemy, or who we're angry with or frustrated toward, if it comes to that point of we just as well see them gone, wiped out, fried from, with fire from heaven, that's not the heart of the Lord. How can we be sure about that? Listen, if that's what he wanted to do, he would have already done it. And, and it's not his heart to destroy. It's not even his heart to judge, but that all would come to repentance, that none would be lost, left dead in trespasses and sin. So James and John, always together, passionate for Jesus, but dangerous for Jesus. Now these first four of them, we find the, the three that were 
closest to, they were in that inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And, and no doubt you've heard, not just from me, but others, the, the very high probability that these guys, though they had great potential, weren't kept closest because of their great potential, but because of the great potential for devastation and danger if Jesus let them out of his sight. So when he ascends the mountain and he leaves everyone else, he says, you three stay with me right now, right here. And wherever he goes, I know how they felt. I, I was the kid that sat in the back until I had to sit next to the teacher. And I raised a kid or two like that. And there are teachers here that can say amen to that. You know, we taught them. But, but the bottom line is, these guys, as strong as they were, as great a potential as they had, Jesus had to teach and train them. And I want to tell you, only Jesus can teach and train a man or a woman to rightly represent him, a boy or a girl to rightly represent him. I can teach and I can do my best to model, but only Jesus can call you, empower you, ordain you, and send you out with any effectiveness. And that only if you're willing to be transformed and used by him. Well, so we find the first four, the first two pairs. Then Philip and Bartholomew. Now, Bartholomew in John's gospel is called Nathaniel. And we know that when Philip first found the Lord, he went and found Nathaniel and said, Hey, we found him of whom the prophets spoke. We found Jesus the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response to this was interesting. He says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He was an absolute skeptic. Not that Messiah was coming. They knew that. Not that it could be the time or he could be on the scene. No, but he thought, Nazareth? No way. And perhaps you're a little skeptical yourself. You'll find yourself in good company because not just Nathaniel... But the next mention, Thomas, same thing. Thomas, an honest skeptic, but, but an absolute skeptic. So much so that after all the time with Jesus, after all the instruction, after all of the miracles, after all the empowerment and successful ministry, Jesus goes to the cross. He's buried. He rises again the third day. He appears to the ten. Judas already off the scene and out of the scene. Thomas isn't there. We don't know where he was. But when the ten, all ten, tell him, the Lord appeared to us. It's true, Thomas. He's risen from the dead. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Thomas says, I don't believe it. And I won't believe it unless I see the nail prints in his hands or unless I feel the wound in his side. We have the term, doubting Thomas. This is right where it comes from. My middle name happens to be Thomas. Came from Missouri, the show-me state. So it's sort of a double whammy, you know. Raised by my grandparents there as a young man. And, and, and so I, when I was young, was an honest skeptic. But, but the, the word honest, it, it, it's important there. Why? Because God doesn't mind people being skeptical. He doesn't want us to be cynical. But skeptical, as long as it's an open, honest skepticism, saying, okay, Lord, just show me. And the Lord has a way to make himself known, his plan known, his purposes known, to show you that he's for you and not against you, and he's with you and working through you. And so if you're a skeptic, hey, just consider the evidence. Look into the word of God. Ask the Lord to show you. Hey, Lord, you know, is this you? 
I got a tip though. Don't bother praying for a burning bosom because you're probably just going to get heartburn and think, oh, wow, it's real. And, but, uh, it's not about feelings. It's about the truth of God's word and what he has to say. I had an interesting experience this last few days. I had a buddy who I've known since 1967 come and spend a few days with me, brought his wife. He lives in Tahiti now and has lived there for over 20 years, but he comes every two or three and before Pam and I were Christians, this guy used to write us notes. Do you have any friends like this? They write you notes and it's filled with scripture, you know, and things underlined and, and you know, this is where to look it up in the dictionary if you don't understand the words. And, and pretty much he was just telling us we were guilty sinners, we were on our way to hell, and that, uh, you know, he really cared about us and we better get it right. And well, we didn't really respond all that well, I got to be honest to that. And, and maybe you've tried some witnessing technique like that, like writing a letter or sharing with your friend, and, and it hasn't been well received. Know this. Once I came to the Lord, man, I was so grateful to him. He was the only one who ever did that kind of thing for us. He was the only one willing to risk putting our friendship, as it were, on the line in order to tell us something I so desperately needed to hear. And I think I mentioned it last time. Listen, share the Lord with your friends. You have nothing to lose but your friends. And, and here's the good news. <laughs> well, it's true. But, but here's the good news. Some of them will respond, and it may not be immediate, and it may not be the way you expect right up front. But when they come to the Lord, and many will, they will be so grateful for you. But something else happened in this last trip, and... And it was so weird. He was kind of saying, long conversations, I'll try to condense it. He was saying, you know, this is sort of amazing. I share the Lord with you and, and now look at where you are. Almost like he's thinking it's Amway or something and I'm in his downline, you know. Like all of this the Lord's doing and, and, and I sort of feel in some way responsible. I mean, that's what he was kind of saying to me. And I looked at him and I thought, you know what? And I told him, so I'm not gossiping about him. Said it to his face so I can say it to you. Didn't ask his permission, but he, well, he wouldn't have given it. But, but anyway, I said, you know what's more amazing than that? Is that after all these years, you're not doing anything. I mean, the guy lives in Tahiti. It is very corrupt. It is very perverse. And it really needs the gospel. And this guy is brilliant. And he studied the word and he knows it. And he's, but, but he's not doing anything. And to me, that's baffling. I'm thinking, how can it be that back then you were all got to share the Lord and you got to do something and now it's just you've kind of gotten complacent and you're just hanging out. Well, that put a little strain on our relationship now. But I'm hoping when things go right over there and when he realizes, hey, now I'm the one willing to tell him the truth. And sometimes it turns around like that. That the very people who encourage you or led you or pointed you toward the Lord, you see them struggling and you don't go in a spirit of condemnation or accusation, but just, hey, you have such tremendous potential. What are you doing with your life? Why aren't you sharing the Lord now? Why aren't you? And because we're friends and because I've seen him do it. I was like, I don't get this. You know what he told me? This is the most mind-blowing thing. He said, well, if I saw like a burning bush or, and he's real demonstrative, he's kind of, you know, if I saw a burning bush or, or if I was put in the cleft of the rock and I'm like, what? That only happened to one guy in all of scripture and now you expect to be the second? And he's dead serious. 
if you're waiting for a burning bush or some cleft of the rock experience, let me tell you today, you're already commissioned by the Lord. The very fact that you've heard the command to go and make disciples, hey, that commissions you. You're already ordained by him. Well, in any case, pray for my buddy. His name's Lee, and he's a great guy, and God could use him mightily, and I expect that he will. But uh, I, I think he's, you know, probably stressed a little right now, and and uh, so we'll wait a little while, and we'll write him a letter maybe. So uh, anyway, we get down to a couple more of these guys. We've got Thomas and Matthew. Now, he puts Thomas the skeptic together with Matthew the tax collector. Matthew, though, man, he was a real evangelist. He did it. He got saved, and as soon as he did, he invited all his buddies over, and he said, you got to all come over. We're going to have a party. And, and then when he got him, everybody there, he brought Jesus into the scene, and Jesus began to minister to all his partying, tax-collecting buddies. And so I'd suggest, hey, that's the way to go. That's the thing to do. If you're new to Christ, you're in a perfect situation because you know lots of people who don't know the Lord. If you've been a Christian a long time, well, you've probably lost a lot of those old friends. And if you're hanging with them either, you know, and they're real comfortable with you, either, you know, you're not really being all you could be. And I'm not saying everybody should be uncomfortable or write us off, but I am saying if we're living it right, if we're walking with him, in fact, he says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Where do you think that comes from? Strangers? No, it's the people that you know best that, that are, you know, they don't understand why you don't want to continue on in the lifestyle you led with them before. Well, in any case... He put Simon and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew. Then James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, don't call me Judas. I, I know it doesn't say that, but see, Thaddeus' name was Judas. His, he had another name, Thaddeus. And I'm certain after this whole thing goes down, he's like, hey, just call me Thaddeus. You know what I mean? Because Judas, well, it became a rather unpopular name. I, I think you realize this. I mean... Let, let's face it, not many Jezebels among us even. I mean, how many of you know anybody named Jezebel? Do you know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago that happened? And still unbelievers aren't even naming their kids Jezebel. There's just something that is stuck in the mind of man that says, no way. And, and truly, Judas, well, we're about to get to him. We know practically nothing about James except... He was the son of Alphaeus. Now, I think it's cool that he mentioned his dad, but we don't know much about Alphaeus or anything about him either. But it's like these guys, you got to know, were used just as powerfully, just as effectively, just as wonderfully by the Lord as those we know the most about. And again, my point for that is, don't worry about if people recognize or see or take notice. No, it's just serving the Lord so you can hear well done, so you can be found faithful. Well... Then, then we find, finally, after James and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, that word would be zealot, by the way, someone more patriotic than evangelistic. His goal, overthrow the government by force, if possible, not even if necessary, just if we can pull it off. He would have been an assassin. And more than willing, I'm sure, to deal with both Matthew, prior to partnering in that little group, and ultimately Judas Iscariot, if he had possibly realized 
what Judas was all about. But Simon the Zealot, mentioned here as Simon the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot, and these words follow his name, who also betrayed him. Oh man, may those words never be written behind our name after your name. Oh Lord, don't let me be one who betrays you. Well, all of this leads us then to, to Jesus' strategy, and he had one. He sends out his 12 into the midst of those who were expecting the coming of Messiah. You don't want to misunderstand. We're only going to look at three things really here as we look at these last few verses, and then we're going to share in communion. But but note with me here in, in verses um, oh, 5 down to 8. It, it says, Jesus sent them out commanding them, don't go the way of the Gentiles. Don't enter a city of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. This is really a good strategy. It's one we can latch on to as far as missions are concerned. And that is you want to start at home. We'll see when he gives the commission in Acts, he says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Why? Because if you're not succeeding at home, then you're not going to succeed out there. And he wanted them to see that he was there with them. He was providing for them. He was empowering them and that they would succeed in the ministry he sends them out to do. He wants us to see those very same things. So he tells us to begin at home. I mean, literally at home, like the the uh, demonic that, that he freed. And he said, let me go with you. And he said, no, go home and tell him what wonderful things God has done for you. Do you know, not only did he go home and tell him, but he went in through the Decapolis. That means 10 cities. He went out preaching. The Lord freed me. The Lord healed me. The Lord's blessed me. The Lord's using me. And truly, he'd have us start where we are, at home, at work, at school. I know you hear this from me, but, but you got to see it because that's the mission field you're already in. The idea that, you know, God's going to take you further. Hey, that could happen. You could go anywhere in the world and represent the Lord. Why? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And that's true everywhere. But it's true even in your school. It's true even in your workplace. It's true even in your neighborhood. And it's true even in our families. There are people that need to know the Lord. So he tells them, what they're to do, and, and who they're to focus on. Now, don't imagine he's not going to preach to the Samaritans or they're not going to preach to the Gentiles. No, it's just to the Jew first. Why? They were expecting the Messiah. They were prepared for his coming. And all he's saying is start here. Later, he'll send them out into Samaria and into, um, up into Syria and, and over you know, into other areas and regions. But in the midst of all of that, ultimately, Matthew 28 Go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. We'll get there. It's in this very same gospel. Well, he tells them not only what to do, but that if they're going to be representing him, they're going to have to be trusting in him. I learned it this way. Where God guides, God provides. And, and here's what he tells them to show them that and teach them that. Provide neither gold or silver or copper in your money belts. 
nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics or sandals or staff, for a worker is worthy of his food. So he's saying, look, just go out there and trust, and it'll all work. Now, there were two things that made this work. One, the Lord was with them and providing for them. The other was their very nature and, and culture was, was birthed in hospitality. They could expect their brethren, wherever they went, to put them up and to give them opportunity and provide for them. But, but Jesus wants them to see that, hey, that, that's how it's going to happen here. Later, when Paul goes to the Gentiles, there's no such command. In fact, Paul did what we call tent-making ministry. And I believe anybody in the ministry should start there. I did it for the first three and a half years of my ministry. I worked and I ministered, and, and then the Lord saw fit to free me up of that work so I could do more of this work. But I just believe that it, it teaches you to trust. It teaches you to, to be diligent and good with your finances. There are so many things God does through it. But ultimately, you got to know where God guides, God provides. If he sends you out, he'll provide for you. Well, that brings us to this last little section. And, and we find, well, three things in these last verses. Whatever city or town you enter, verse 11, inquire who is worthy. Stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household and greet it, and if the household is worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever you will not receive you or hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the day of Sodom and Gomorrah and the day of judgment than for that city. Three things he focuses on, and we conclude with these as we move toward our communion time together. First of all, their success would not be measured by people's responses. That's true today, by the way. Success in ministry is faithfully delivering the message God gave you. Now, it is essential that we deliver it with the right spirit and with the right motivation. He checks and tests all of that. But success in God's and from God's perspective isn't really based on how people respond to us, but that we were faithful to share with those people what God entrusted to us. And so he says, you're going to go out and some people are going to receive you. Just, you know, share with them. And other people are going to reject you. And he says, just, well, go out from them. He mentioned shaking the dust off their feet. They would have understood this because when a Jew went through Gentile lands, when they were passing out of that land and back into their own land, they would always shake the dust off their feet as if it was to say, I don't want anything outside of this covenant and this relationship. I don't want anything like that or like them touching me. Now, they'd really gone too far with all of that. But, but what happens here is, is he's saying, do it to your own brethren. They'll, they'll get it. They won't appreciate it, but they'll get it. They'll understand that you're saying, hey, you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God's offer of pardon. And then the last thing is that, hey, he says that the measure of information, the measure of ministry that's been given to us, and it is going to determine in some way the, the intensity of that time of judgment because he says it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Why? Hey, great ministry, great responsibility, great privilege, great responsibility. So where does that lead us? Where does that leave us? Listen, we want to see people 
as Jesus sees them. We want to feel compassion because that's what he has for them. We want, like him, to pray the Lord of the harvest, send them out, Lord, and then we want to know that he may very well tap us on the shoulder and say, let's go. It's you I'm sending. And if he calls you and he ordains you, he'll empower you and anoint you, and you will be found faithful and stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Isaiah 55, 11, the Lord proclaims, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When we are prompted by the word of God to do the work of God, which is spreading the word of God, it's good to know it will accomplish exactly what God intends it to accomplish. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.